0: minimum of 4 lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line
2: without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue
0: bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge applies ctmobile.com we asked you just last week and we want to reveal these results now who is the must watch player in sports today, and it was overwhelming. That guy is playing in Super Bowl 54. He, of course, is Patrick Mahomes. Almost 7,000 of you voted, and here are the choices. Zion Williamson, Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, and Tiger Woods. Now, basically, you can uh, see if you're watching us, Zion, Lamar, Tiger, all basically tied at 15% and Patrick Mahomes running away with it, 56%. Uh, we'll delve back to the Super Bowl in just a sec. Here's why 56% of you are absolutely wrong. It is Tiger Woods, and it ain't even close. No one will ever approach the must-watchability of Tiger Woods. And and, and we're not thinking about it at the moment. I think that poll is skewed by the timing on the sports calendar. We forget. Just how flatlined the sport of golf is most weeks, except for when Tiger Woods is in contention. And that's when the ratings double. Sometimes they triple. They go up by millions upon millions of people. Recently, when I was on a flight to Mexico during the Masters and Tiger Woods won, the pilot came over the uh, PA system to announce to the plane that Tiger Woods had won again. And the plane erupted in spontaneous applause. Tiger Woods is easily the must-watch athlete in all of sports. How many of you are watching golf on a Saturday or a Sunday on the normal week? Probably none of you. How many of you are watching when Tiger Woods is in contention? Most of you. And that's the difference between Tiger and Mahomes. Zion Williamson, who we've seen play three games now, has been just unbelievable in all of them. All these guys are interesting. But the NFL has 15 million people watching a garbage game. The NBA ratings change a little bit when these must-watch athletes are on the court, but not a lot. So what I'm talking about is how much a guy changes the audience, the attention, the buzz surrounding their entire sport. And that, to me, Ross, is why Tiger Woods is easily the must-watch athlete in the history of sports and still today, even when he's an old man.
1: Yeah, I mean, not for me. He'd be last in this poll for me. Um, And I I just heard everything you said, and you have the numerical evidence and the metrics to back it up because you're right. Uh, He he does tilt the ratings like none other. Not for me. I don't really care about golf when he's not playing, and if he is playing, I still don't really care about it. Uh, It's still not must-watch for me and if I'm being frank if I did watch it it would be to hope that he does not win and if that wow. means I'm a hater then okay I'm a hater but I don't know uh, first of all I think Brooks is awesome I like the way that dude looks I like the way he, he plays secondly and I don't know the other guys as well as we know Tiger's background but Knowing Tiger's background, I I choose to root for other people. I choose to root for people that uh, haven't done some of the things that he's done. I mean, I think it's especially interesting in an individual sport like that how many people root for Tiger Woods. You and I have talked about this way back when, before we even started Home and Home. Uh, But I, I am amazed at how many people love Tiger, how many people root for Tiger. In an individual sport, I personally would not choose to root for the human being that did some of the things that Tiger Woods did. I'll root for other guys.
0: Interesting that you differentiate that from – the conversation we've had about, about Kobe Bryant. But why I say Tiger, again, is not just because the metrics, the numbers that change, it's the eye test. I mean, if Patrick Mahomes is on TV, if Lamar Jackson is on TV, maybe my son, and this is my general metric, my son and my wife, my son is 12 and, and my wife is my age, um, will they come to the couch? Not necessarily. If Tiger Woods is in contention on a Sunday, both my wife and... And my son come to the couch and I probably get a text from one of my parents who are, you know, pushing 70. Are you watching Tigers? So that's why I don't think this is even a conversation, but it is an interesting perspective from you. And now to the Super Bowl. And of course, Mahomes, easily your followers and listeners must watch athlete in sports brings it to the question of the must watch positional battle or head-to-head in this Super Bowl. And that's what makes this Super Bowl so damn sexy. There are some awesome positional battles. And first, we understand that Mahomes does not go head-to-head with Jimmy G or Kittle and Kelsey or Tyron Matthew and Richard Sherman. The coaches truly are the only head-to-head Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. But we asked you that. Who's the must-watch positional battle in this Super Bowl. And right now it is Kittle, Kelsey, Kelsey and Kittle. Those names don't roll off the tongue really easily. Easily uh, the lead on this right now. Let us know at RDC Home and Home which positional battle most intrigues you. And this was brought up last night at opening night. So here are the two best tight ends in the game today. Kelsey and Kittle discussing one another. Howdy, how we doing? What's good, big I think we're doing a good job so far. Uh, I got some snacks in my pockets that I'll get in a little bit. Big snack guy, and uh, I'm just having my best time.
1: I'm just going to go ahead and say the things that I need to say, and I hope I say them correctly, because you got to fight for your right to party.
0: Panda Express, Chinese food. Yeah, I love it. What would my cereal taste like? Oh, man, a mixture of Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Lucky Charms. Oh, it's going to be a good game, eh? Um, Probably lots of maple syrup out there, and uh, I'm just going to do my best to look at Nick Bosa's squads the whole time, eh?
1: That was out of line. The first one, I can see a Florida man sniffing a doorbell, for sure. Licking and sniffing. He sniffed it before he licked it.
0: My competition with Travis Kelsey? Well, he's going against my defense, and I'm going against theirs. George
1: is an unbelievable player, man. I-, I love watching him play just as much as anybody else. His tenacity, his, his approach to the game is uh, it's relentless. I mean, he's an incredible player, and you know, one of the best red
0: zone threats in the NFL. Adios, amigos. Am I really? I can leave. Ooh! Sorry, guys. George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, back and forth on opening night, and that was really the highlight of opening night. You've got two of the greatest personalities in the sport today. You've got the two best tight ends in the game today. And to me, that's what makes this the must-watch positional battle in this game because I can't get enough of either of them off- or on the field, although I'll say this, Ross, about this positional battle, and right now it's Reed and Shanahan winning our poll, I think Kelsey has a bigger role in terms of who might change this game because George Kittle, we saw last week, had some great blocks in the Niners' win, but caught just one pass. I think the Chiefs are going to need more from Kelsey than the Niners are from Kittle.
1: Yeah, and and I want to say one thing, Just about polling in general, I did take a polling class uh, in college. I think it's fascinating, Dave, that if the Ravens were in the Super Bowl instead of the Chiefs, you know that Lamar Jackson would have won our first poll easily, right? Like You know that literally the last two weeks changed a huge percentage of our viewers, our listeners, and the pollsters. The people that voted on that poll changed their opinion. The, the Two weeks. Like, it's uncanny how much that would have changed it. Uh, as for Kittle and Kelsey, you know what, Dave? In a league that doesn't have that many personalities, I think it's awesome. I, I think those guys going back and forth, talking, that they both are interesting, entertaining. I think it's fantastic. They're different players. Uh, I talked to Kyle Juszczyk. Last night, the Niners fullback about Kittle and how often the Niners run behind him to the tight end. That almost never happens. Teams like to run away from the tight end. But I love those guys. And by the way, doesn't it feel like George Kittle went from a nobody to like a megastar in the last two months? Maybe three months? It's crazy. I mean, he's like one of the five or six most well-known guys talked about guys in the Super Bowl. I don't think in September, maybe in October, most people even knew who he was unless you really were into football. You want to talk about a guy that has done it right and has figured out a way to increase his Q rating. He's going to make crazy money off the field now. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. And it seemed like it happened overnight.
0: Yeah. And the lesson is from him. It's be yourself. I don't get a sense that that George Kittle is trying to get more Instagram followers or Twitter followers or brand at all. He doesn't seem overly concerned about his branding. He is just 100% authentic being himself at each and every moment like that. You got to fight for you right. You know, I mean this guy is 100% the real deal, the genuine article, and that's why it allows him to to grow so well in terms of his off the field and on the field fame is that he ain't faking it. He is the genuine article. But one of the things that that matchup tells you about this game is that it's it's the mutual admiration society. And I'm a little bit tired of it in terms of how these guys today love one another. They might have the same agents. They might work out for the same facilities. They might represent the same brands. And so there is no longer anything even approaching shit-talking leading to the Super Bowl. As you just heard from Kelsey and Kittle, they admire one another's game. Kelsey went on and talked on and on about why he thinks George Kittle is the first team all pro tight end for crying out loud. And you also heard that with another of these must-watch positional battles and that's again we know they're not head to head the honey badger Tyron Matthew and Richard Sherman who is the number 1 graded corner according to Pro Football Focus on this season he is back again at the Super Bowl now the old man and Tyron Matthew the badger he has a lot of respect for what Richard Sherman has accomplished in the game he still has today
1: a lot,
3: like I said, you know, me and I played in the same division together for almost five years. Um, so I, I watched him a lot. You know, I studied them a lot. You know, that, 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 that Seattle secondary. You know, I remember playing against him. I used to just sit down and watch them. You know, watch them work. Watch them compete. They were always on a different level than everybody else. Um, I think Sherman has really brought that to the 49ers, right? Like, he's brought that confidence, that that belief of you put in enough work you can you can be you want um, I
1: think that's, that's
0: tyron matthew uh from our friends 95 7 the game in the bay area and i think he is the defensive mvp for this chiefs defense who has been a completely different group since week 11 they have figured out steve spagnolo's system and, and the reason why I'm leaning a little bit in favor of Kansas city at this moment, but again, that mutual admiration society, Ross, is that just a product of generationally where these guys are? Do you like it? Or as, as more of an old school player, would you like to hear less love exchange between two teams?
1: Um, I'm okay with it as long as when they're inside the white lines they are getting after it. And George Kittle in particular, Sherman, Matthew, um, although I know that wasn't necessarily Sherman, it was Tyron Matthew, but those guys get after it as players. As You know, I do think it is a little bit more of a generational thing. I do think it's almost the uh, nba That's definitely not a word. But you know, you see that in the NBA all the time. It's like the NBAification of of the NFL on some level, and I think that's I think it's okay. I will say I think people were always surprised that I would talk to players on the other team before games, after games. I didn't, you know, uh, talk trash or have a lot of animosity towards them until the game started, and then I wanted to kill him and then I didn't care about any of that other stuff. And then in some instances after the game, I'd be like, good game, man. So I don't have a problem with it as long as when they're inside the white line for those 60 minutes, they are getting after it. Now, mm-hmm. I also don't mind if guys talk trash. I don't mind if there's some genuine animosity I think that's always kind of fun. I know people like that, but it doesn't bother me that there isn't. I'm pretty sure these guys all really want to win the Super Bowl and they're going to be getting after it.
0: One of the storylines ahead of the Super Bowl is, of course, Joe Montana, who is, as Joe has done in the past, straddling the fence. An interesting tweet uh, a couple of weeks ago about... My team is guaranteed to win the Super Bowl. He, of course, played for San Francisco, finished his career with Kansas City, 25 games, 17 and 8. And Joe Montana was asked by Mike Silver of NFL Network and NFL.com what his advice would be to Tom Brady regarding his future. And it was interesting... What Joe Montana said to Mike Silver, because, look, he had a very positive experience with the Kansas City Chiefs and talks about it often, but Joe Montana said his advice to Tom Brady would be this. Don't leave the Patriots if you don't have to. It's a process to go through, and it takes time getting used to the team, but if they let Brady have his own offense with a new team, that makes it a little easier, but still, the transition of moving Too much. I just can't see how the Patriots would let him get away myself. Ross Tucker, are you surprised that Joe Montana's advice to Tom Brady is to not leave the Patriots?
1: No, I'm not. And I think Joe, uh, on some level there, that, that still is a little bit of a wound for him, having to leave the Niners to go to the Chiefs. It's not what he would have preferred. It's not what he wanted to do which is also kind of why it's a little funny that he's straddling the line a little bit. He never wanted to leave San Francisco, but he found a new home in Kansas City and was able to play for a couple more years. I would just say that it's easy for Joe Montana to say that. And certainly from his perspective, I think that's right. And I think, Dave, that that's what most people would say, right? I mean, most people would say, don't go play for another team. Nobody wants to see you in another uniform. You've had a great career. You know, it, it just wouldn't be right. Like, everybody feels that way. But what if you still want to play a couple more years? And what if you still feel like you have more to give? And what if it doesn't really feel like the Patriots are that enamored with you giving it to them? I mean, Adam Schefter already having a report that the Patriots would like to know by March 16th before free agency starts, to me is laughable. I mean, he's finally a free agent. The last couple contract adjustments that he's had have been frankly insulting to me. You know, he wanted some more money and so they're like, ah, we'll give you a couple incentives. And I talked to somebody last night who said, well, he didn't have to sign if he didn't want to no you're right he could have played hardball he could have made the patriots look real bad he could have done things like hold out but that's not the type of person he is he's a classy guy that doesn't want to put himself or the organization in that position yet they continue to test it they continue to test whether or not he'll put them in that position you know Are you kidding me? What a joke. We got to know by March 16th before two days before free agency even starts. They have to know, Hey, listen, Patriots, that's not how free agency works. And then they say, well, last year with Gronk, we weren't able to get Gronk was still under contract. Number one, number two, you knew he wasn't coming back. Number three, you weren't going to sign Jared Cook or one of those other tight ends. Give me a freaking break. Honestly, these kind of reports. And if the Patriots are really saying stuff like that, those are the type of thing that would lead me to want to go somewhere else if I were Tom Brady and just be like, screw you guys. I'm sick of it.
0: Yeah, I I do feel you. And it feels the same way to me. And I think the advice from Joe Montana is right. I think Tom Brady would like to stay in New England. But I think the question all along has been the wrong question. I think the question we need to ask is what can the Patriots do – To keep Tom Brady, because I think at the end of the day, would Bill Belichick realize at this point his best chance of winning another Super Bowl is probably with Tom Brady? But the question, again, I'm asking is what can the Patriots do to keep him? And I sense that is not about money. I sense that is not about years because the max years anyone's going to offer him at this point of his career is probably 2 And I could see Brady settling somewhere for a year as he tries to take one more shot at the Super Bowl. So it's about what free agents can the Patriots bring in that would make Tom Brady more likely to resign there. And I just, I look across the landscape, I can't see anyone that makes it an easy decision for Tom Brady. I think it certainly starts with Amari Cooper and we haven't seen what the Dallas Cowboys are going to do with him. But I think the Patriots have got to make a move first. They've got to sign a free agent first that makes Tom Brady more likely to sign with them, and it doesn't feel like they are inspired, inclined to do so. Well, they're not going to be able to, Dave,
1: because he needs to tell them two days before free agency starts. So how are they going to sign a free agent to show them that they're going to put better players around him when he needs to tell them before free agency starts? Now, listen, I'm sure... Behind the scenes, his agent can get a decent idea of, you know, what the market will be like for Tom Brady, what people will be willing to pay him. I'm sure that he'll get some idea of that. But Brady won't actually know what these teams do to make the team better. You know, if I'm Brady, I wait wait the first few days of free agency. I see how things kind of play out. And by the way, if the Patriots say, Tom, we can't wait for you. We got to go trade for Andy Dalton or sign Teddy Bridgewater. All right, then, Patriots, you made the decision, not me. I haven't signed with another team. You put the ultimatum on, on me. You moved on from me. You signed. And let's see how that plays out. Let's see how that plays out in New England. If Brady hasn't signed anywhere, and the Patriots move on from him, that would be a bad look. He needs to call their bluff and shove it up their butt.
0: And shove it up their butt, says Ross Tucker. So let's talk about odds. Let's talk about where we think Tom Brady will land next season. The odds, and yes, you can bet on this, You can bet on everything, not just at the Super Bowl, but off the field as well. Uh, Odds are Tom Brady signs with the New England Patriots. That's the betting favorite. But as for the alternate destinations right now, the most popular odds are the Chargers 6-1 tied with the Las Vegas Raiders at 6-1 the underdogs, the Carolina Panthers, and the Cleveland Browns. I know some people think he lands in Miami. Ross Tucker and I have both said no chance he stays in the division and is part of a rebuild. Chargers or Vegas, are either of them likely to land Tom Brady?
1: Uh, I still think uh, the greatest likelihood is he goes back to the Patriots, but if he doesn't go to the Patriots, I have said and will say Chargers. The Chargers need a quarterback. Uh, there are reports that they're moving on from Philip Rivers, according to Jay Glazer of Fox Sports. So they're going to need a quarterback. The Chargers actually have a pretty darn good roster. Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry. Now, they would need to beef up the offensive line. I'm sure that they would. And then defensively, guys like Joey Bosa, Derwin James will come back from injury, Melvin Ingram. I mean, they got some dudes. Dave, they got some legitimate dudes. They need a quarterback, and they need something to sell. They are non-existent in their market in Los Angeles. They're moving into a new stadium. Nobody and nothing would sell better than Tom Brady, the star of stars, coming to Los Angeles. Honestly, if I ran the Chargers, Dave, I'd give him whatever money he wanted because you would make it back. This is this is a this is a very important time. You need to get people to at least give you a chance here in the new stadium. Tom Brady would give you that chance. Tom Brady would give you a chance to succeed in that market on the field and off the field. And by the way, for Brady, I think the main reason why he's still playing, Dave, is the tv B twelve stuff. You know, I'm going to play till I'm 45. He's done everything else. I think it's the TB12 stuff. You know how well that stuff would go in Southern California? Like slowing down the aging process, health stuff. I mean, he'd be able to open up TB12s all over Southern California, and people would eat that shit up. I think it's a match made in heaven. I think it's what he should do. I do as well, with
0: one notable exception. I think the family does have this home that we've heard about in Greenwich, Connecticut. There's a son in New York. I do think ultimately they settle in Greenwich. I'm not sure Tom Brady just isn't bi-coastal for one year back and forth, but the TB12 is what it's all about, and it's a great point, because ultimately Tom Brady could make 10 times what he made playing With this TB12 brand. He's got his eye on the big picture. And if you expand this 5-10 years down the line. He could be looking at a couple hundred million dollars. Of value from TB12. I would not rule out Las Vegas. For some of the same reasons you mentioned there. And you've got a quirky owner. And Mark Davis. Who if he could move away, or I don't know what the guaranteed cap money is on car, but I sense that they want someone to put some asses in seats, sell some PSLs, and Tom Brady would uh, certainly answer that for Las Vegas.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours
2: They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
0: Speaking of Vegas, all the money in this game, it's all about betting, baby. The biggest betting event on the sports calendar let's talk about it with alan berg the senior odds maker at caesars in vegas alan great to talk to you my friend dave briggs and ross tucker um i want to ask you quickly before we dive into the super bowl odds and and prop bets what are the odds say you of tom brady's next landing spot
4: (laughs) Oh man, that's a tough one to make, uh, off the top. I I think he'd still have to be a pretty sizable favorite to be a Patriot. Um, you know, probably somewhere in like that five to eight dollar, uh, favorite range. And then I think, you know, the Raiders to me makes sense. And I heard your guys points on, on both the Raiders and the Chargers. Uh, I, I just find it hard for him to leave Bill Belichick. I mean, just to leave such a mind like that, at least with Gruden, I can kind of see it, but, uh, I don't know if he'd really go play for Anthony Lynn, but maybe if they do throw enough money at him, you know, that can always solve problems.
1: Alan, let's talk Super Bowl now, buddy. Always good to talk with you. Uh, let's talk numbers. Like, h- how big are the numbers for the Super Bowl in terms of the handle for you guys compared to other events, compared to the rest of the NFL season?
4: Oh, it's a, you know, it's in a class by itself. Uh, the only comparison is really that four day stretch for March madness. Um, you know, I mean, with Caesars, we have so many properties, uh, in Nevada alone. And then you start incorporating the new States that we have, um, you know, across the U S um, it's, it's the biggest betting event of the year. And, and and it's an interesting one this year because there's, there's, you know, pretty good split opinion on who they think is going to win this thing. Um, most of our Moneyline money is on the Niners at a small price, and uh, a lot of people have laid minus one, minus one and a half of the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, I've, I've heard the most popular bet is uh, on, in terms of the spread is Kansas City. Why has that not moved the spread? We've seen it in some books move a half point, and that's it. Generally speaking, doesn't a lot of money on one team move the spread more than we've seen in the case of Super Bowl fifty-four? well the
4: the case here is that you know when we're trading one versus one and a half when when we go to one and a half, we'll see some more nine plus the points money, but when we sit at one, then pretty much everyone takes the forty nineers money line and the forty nineers money line has a lot more money for us at least at this point than the chief's money line does so it's it's kind of a nice balance. The only you know scenario is, is if it lands one it's a total mess but Hopefully, uh, you know, somebody comes out and wins this thing by at least a touchdown and and we get a good game on Sunday.
1: Alan, for people that aren't as familiar uh, with sports betting, there's a common narrative that all you guys do is just even out the money on both sides of the bet. Can you dispel that for people, please?
4: Yeah, um, most, I would say the the best books, the best shops that take sports bets are going to um, take the position on a game on the basis of when you get, you know, the public is betting a particular side more often than not, uh, they, they're they betting into a number that is set for them to bet into. So in other words, maybe the line in the Chiefs is truly, let's just say four, but we know that we'll get plenty of Niners money at plus one, plus one and a half. So, for us, we 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 really look at what the sharp guys do. Um, you know, we try to stick with players who actually show a win percentage over a long period of time. Uh, sample size is huge, and so one game, whether you're on the, the right side or the wrong side, you know, it, it's it's a marathon game. And everybody wants to win today. That's why the parlays are super popular. Um, and at the end, you know, when you have a lot of a lot of action, a lot of people coming in. Really, all you need to do is beat the parlays, and that's why we do so well during the NFL season.
0: Talking to Alan Berg, the senior odds maker at Caesars. Alan, what's the most popular bet right now as related to this game?
4: Um, definitely the game itself. Uh, you know, we do we do really well on the props, uh, mainly the sharp guys. You know, they love that. They, they jump all over them the second you release them. Uh, and we'll have really good handle on the props. But when it comes to what people bet on, it's definitely the spread of the game or the money line. Those are, are right. far and away the best. But this year, the over has been crazy.
0: That that was my question. I had read that this was the most popular bet, the over, in uh, since 2003. What are you seeing? How much action on the over in this game?
4: Yeah, it's been a lot. Uh, you know, we joked uh, when we were putting up the line that we thought we might need the might need the under in the game more than we'll need a side, and I think that's what it's going to be. Um, you know, as far as the amount of money, uh, you know, it's still not as high as the point spread or the money line, but it's up there. I mean, over has been very, very popular, so that will be what we'll need probably the, for the most win uh, come Sunday.
1: Alan, how many newbies or onlys do you get for the Super Bowl? Like people that it's their first time betting or it's the only thing they bet on all year or at least the only football game they bet on. Is that common or not really?
4: Uh, A little bit, yeah. Uh, You know, we get like a lot of casino players, uh, maybe, you know, people that really like to play cards or uh, hit the dice table or whatnot that come into town uh, and get invited here. And, you know, they may not be a big sports person, but they'll they'll put a bet in on the game and go to one of the ballrooms for casino players and whatnot and, and just kind of enjoy the experience. And then we definitely get newbies, uh, you know, especially with the expansion. I mean, we've got plenty of newbies all over the place now, so it uh, should be a good time for them, especially in these new states.
0: Yeah, uh, talking with Alan Berg, the senior odds maker at Caesars, how how much bigger a gambling event is the Super Bowl this year, or do you sense it's going to be now that we're seeing sports gambling opening up across the country, more than 12 states?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things uh, as it grows, um, you know, the betting handle is going to grow as well. Um, You know, we did a tremendous amount of business in Indiana, um, pretty much had to fade the bears every single week. Uh, up until maybe the last couple weeks of the season. So, uh, you know, I I think sky's the limit when it comes to these numbers that are out there. I think it can be even more. uh, I think if we get to the point where we double the states next year, um, you know, this thing's just going to keep growing bigger and bigger.
1: Uh, Let's talk prop bets a little bit, Alan. I I know you and Dave referenced it, uh, but there's some prop bets that... There's a lot of prop bets, in fact, where it seems like people would have access to that information or could easily control it. So what are the maximums you take on those bets? And is there ever enough action on a prop that you have to pull it off the board or, um, you know, talk to some people about, I guess there's not uh, Gatorade flavor point shaving, but uh, talk to somebody <laughs> about some inside info.
4: Yeah. I mean, we, we, in Nevada, we are pretty strict on what we're, what we can offer. Um, you know, we don't, we don't do the Gatorade stuff. Um, that's kind of a, uh, outside of the country type of a bet. Um, maybe someday that'll get involved, but, but it's definitely for that reason that someone obviously is going to know, uh, what color Gatorade's in a bucket. Um, but you know, we, with us, I mean, we will take, you know, around four figures or so on any prop bet for the most part. Um, you know, we we like to try to do different things. So we have the octopus this year. I don't know if you guys heard about that, where a player has to score the touchdown and then also score the two point conversion on the same possession. Uh, we have that at like twelve to one, yes, uh, minus three thousand on the no. Uh, we have a prop on the player to have the first twenty yard play from scrimmage. So like basically the first, you know, reasonably sized play of the game. So that's kind of a fun one as well.
0: Wow, so the octopus, I had never heard of that bet. Guy scores the touchdown and the two-point conversion. That is an interesting bet. Uh, I'm, it's unfortunate that Caesars won't allow you to bet on Will J. Lo. Show butt cleavage. That is actually a bet that you can make other places and no is the odds on favorite at this point. Yeah, some very interesting prop bets. All right, MVP always one of the most fascinating. And and obviously Patrick Mahomes, the odds-on favorite. Who after that is getting some action?
4: Um, we've gotten some, you know, on like uh Tyree Kill, uh Travis Kelsey. Um, the defensive guys have been popular for the Niners just on the basis of their odds. Um, you know, Nick is like in the mid 20s. Uh, you know, and then we had a couple guys on the board at like 75 to 1, 100 to 1. Um, uh, you know, people love definitely putting their, you know, their 20s and their 50s on things that can bring them back, you know, uh, 500 or a thousand bucks. So, uh, the odds guys are always going to be the, the most popular ones, but, you know, usually it's one of the top four that are going to take this thing home. And at the end of the day in the Super Bowl, I mean, pretty much quarterbacks are, such a massive favorite to win the thing.
1: So you guys clean up on those, right? Like those needle in the haystack type bets.
4: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, like I said, when, when, you know, odds are set that way for a reason and every now we, we take a hit, um, you know, we were, we were fortunate uh, as an example, uh, quite a few books in town got hit on Joe Burrow winning the Heisman. So, you know, every now and then you will find a situation where you might take a bath on that. When we finally put him on the board, he was like 60 to one. So it wasn't as bad as a couple of those shots that I had 200 to one and whatnot. But, but yeah, over time, I mean, those are not bets that we're really going to lose. There's a reason those guys are 100 to one, 150 to one.
1: So, Alan, is the Super Bowl an enjoyable experience for you, or is there so much money <laughs> riding on it that it's like a nerve wracking experience for you?
4: No, the money, the money is kind of you know it, it's going to do what it does, and uh, as long as we do our job uh, long term, we're going to we're going we're gonna to do just great on the Super Bowl. Uh, for me, the, the the challenging part is is building everything, it's making all the props, the things that go behind like the scenes of us just getting these things on the board is quite a process. And now we did it in multiple states this year. Uh, so it's very time-consuming. So once that's all up and ready to go and people can bet on it, that's that's the hard part of the, of the week for us.
1: Last one, Alan. Always great talking with you. Uh, the Raiders are coming to town. And I'm curious what impact you think that'll have on sports betting, in particular NFL betting in Vegas, as well as any, have you heard anything yet? Like, will there be sports books like will Caesars have a place in the stadium like what's that going to be like
4: Yeah I'm not sure uh if we'll have anything going on there I would assume there's probably deals being talked about at the moment uh you know we I mean we have so many betting apps out here in Nevada that I, I don't know that it's the biggest thing in the world to have anything technically inside the stadium but um Yeah, I mean, the impact's going to be big. I mean, they're going to be a home team for us. Uh, You know, we obviously have the Vegas Golden Knights here, and um, there's definitely some bias, but the NFL is such a different animal when it comes to sports betting that, you know, the Raiders are definitely going to bring money uh, with all the California traffic, be able to come here to see them, stay at the casinos and whatnot. Uh, It's going to be interesting. We're definitely going to probably be rooting in the books for the other team that the Raiders are playing every week, especially when they're here in town.
0: Yeah, talking to Alan Berg, senior odds maker at Caesars. Alan, do you sense that that awkward embrace between the NFL and sports gambling is now evolving? Do you feel like they are beginning to embrace and move into 2020 and realize this is something that's going to be legal federally?
4: Yeah, I'm not sure how it's all going to shake out. I mean, I think there's definitely some benefit to it being state by state because of just the different um, avenues of what you know a particular state may want from the from the industry, but yeah, I think the relationship once the education got a little bit better, and, and there's still a big, I feel, learning gap between uh, the leagues and what we actually do. Um, but I, I think as the years go along, it'll, it'll be a good relationship for sure.
0: And final question: Do you have a sense of how much money you expect to be bet on Super Bowl Fifty Four?
4: Oh, it's uh, well, if I took you know our other states, I mean, it'll definitely be in the you know what eight figures. I'm sure um, you know it, it's 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 a massive event for sure uh, it's nice actually though that this year it's it's pretty well balanced that I don't expect us to have any massive uh, decision on either side of the game but uh, we'll just be rooting under I think like everybody else out there.
0: Talking to Joe Shasky, the butcher boy, 95-7, the Bay Area, about the big game. And let's continue on, Jimmy Garoppolo, because uh, on its surface, one would think Andy Reid puts all, all the chips on stopping this running game. How to do it? Not that clear. How many times do you think Jimmy Garoppolo has to throw the ball to win this game?
5: Yeah, that's a great question, Dave. I think the sweet spot's about 25 to 28 times yeah. uh, in this particular game. Uh, you're going to have to throw the ball early just to kind of get those safeties to back off the line. And that's kind of been the template, not just in the first drives in the playoffs, but throughout the entire regular season. You've seen that they go past happy the first drive of the game, the first 15 scripted as Shanahan's so famous for. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders has been his go to blanket guy, especially over the middle. Debo Samuel on the quick little slants. Uh, Obviously, they want to get George Kittle involved. There's going to be a lot of little drag routes and just simple, easy throws to get Jimmy Garoppolo in rhythm. And I think that that's one area that Kyle Shanahan excels at. It's, It's getting Jimmy rhythm early and often. And I think specifically in the Viking game, He was a little errant with his throws. He was a little high early. And I think the head coach said, okay, Zimmer's all over me. I don't really have to throw the ball today. There's no point in me trying to prove something. Let's just run the ball down their throat. I just think they have to throw. I think they're going to have to throw the ball effectively just to open things up for the run game. And I think the sweet spot is between 25 and 28 throws. If he's throwing for 40 times in a game, I got a feeling that we're chasing. (laughs) And that's not a good thing. I don't want to be chasing Mahomes, and I don't want to be chasing Andy Reid. I want them to be chasing this 49er defense. So 25 to 28 is my sweet spot.
1: All right, so, Joe, it's early in the week. There was a decent amount of fans, I'd say, for both teams at opening night last night. But I'm curious, what are you hearing? What's the buzz? Do you expect the Niners faithful to be out in full force this week and in particular at the game on Sunday. I know it's a far, far trek from San Fran, but I also know a lot of San Fran people got some serious coin. What are you thinking? Okay, Ross, first and foremost, don't
5: ever call it San Fran. It's Frisco. We hate San Fran. I just. It drives me nuts. I can hear my dad screaming at me right now. It's San Francisco, or it's Frisco, or it's the city, or the city by the bay. That being said, they're going to travel deep. They're going to travel deep. We got Silicon Valley money out here, man. There's a lot of people that are Fairweather fans, but they got the cash, and they can go out there and drop $15,000 on a trip to Miami. My dad and my grandfather, my brother and I, we looked at tickets the minute they won the NFC Championship game. was the cheapest individual seat. I I was like, wow, $6,000? And then the flight over to Miami, you're looking at a five to seven, sometimes eight hour flight, depending on where your layover is. It can go anywhere from $500 to $3,000. It's just it's a very expensive trip, but there are a lot of people in the Bay Area that got that kind of cash. And God bless them. I'm not one of them. Uh, You know, the station didn't send me down. I'm very jealous of you, Ross, right now, to be honest with you. But uh, I think that the 49er fans are going to roll deep. And if you've looked at what they've done on the road in New Orleans, uh, obviously, they went up to Seattle. um, Every single road game, it seems like lots and lots of Niner fans have showed out. So I expect that trend to continue, to be honest with you.
0: Let me tell you one thing. Talking to Joe Shasky, 95.7, the Bay Area, the Butcher Boy. Going to the game is overrated in 75% of experiences. Unfortunately, you are the one that I believe it would not be overrated for (laughs) because you are such a passionate fan. But dropping 10 grand is just not worth it, especially when you factor in the the halftime show and the commercials. The experience in HD on your couch is better. 100 out of 100 times, but it's unfortunate you can't be here for this one as they try to win their first Super Bowl in 25 years. Also interesting advice, not to say San Fran. We're helping you out here on Home and Home, so don't say San Fran. Don't say Houston, we have a problem. And I'll add one more. <laughs> don't ever call Boston Beantown. They hate that there. So three things not to refer to cities as. All right, Joe, most important player on the football field for San Francisco to win that game? Could it be Richard Sherman? Could it be George Kittle? Could it be uh, obviously Jimmy G, but if they're to win this game, who's the one most important person on the football field?
5: Wow. That is a great question. There's so many people that I want to highlight. I want to go Sherman. I want to go Bosa. I want to go Jimmy Garoppolo or Raheem Mostert. I'm going to say it's it's one guy on each side of the ball. Kyle Uschek on on offense. I think When this guy is part of the passing game and he's dominating in the run game and he's controlling where the ball is going with those motion, that pre-snap movement, and his ability to just get out and plow ground for this run game, I think he is vital. If he has a great game, I think this offense has a great game. And then defensively, I'm going to go to Fred Warner. You probably haven't heard his name a whole lot this week. Fred Warner is the most reliable linebacker we've had since Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. This guy is just He's so mature beyond his years. He never gets too excited. He's always in the right spot. He always wraps up and makes such smart, smart plays. This guy had the green dot helmet as a rookie last year up in Minnesota, first week. I have tremendous respect for Fred Warner. I think his his IQ is just through the roof, and his ability to make plays for this defense never gets highlighted by the casual fan. And I I think those are the two guys that I would pick this week. You're probably not going to get many people talking about, an inside linebacker and a fullback but that's how weird this 49er team is it's a throwback team and when I talk about dominating the line of scrimmage that's how they've won all their games this year and it's because of guys like Fred Warner and it's because of Kyle Juszczyk and his domination in the run game he dominated two weeks in a row in the playoffs he barely touched the football that's throwback old school football I know Ross Tucker can appreciate that
1: yeah, Joe, you are, I mean, I love both those guys. I talked to both of them last night. Uh, checks a friend, Fred Warner. I love all the Niners linebackers. I interviewed Dre Greenlaw last night. There was nobody around him. That dude's going to a Pro Bowl in the next couple of years. <laughs> I love Dre Greenlaw. Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner are stone-faced killers. They fly around. I asked them both the same question, Joe. You'll appreciate this. I said... Can you please assure me that if Patrick Mahomes is tiptoeing through the tulips down the sideline for a 30-yard touchdown, that you won't let that happen? And they both got a big grin, and they are like, "Uh, yeah, I'm going to do my best. I'm like, come on, bro. They're like, "Uh, yeah, that's not happening. (laughs) Oh, man. It won't happen, which is awesome. So I got one more question, Joe, about San Fran that I wanted to ask you. And that switch <laughs> the knife. <laughs> so talking about okay, I got a question for you, Joe. Yeah. Is both Niners and 49ers both acceptable or is one preferred? Niners or 49ers? No no
5: no no. no. You you could say 49ers, niners, uh 40 effin' Niners, as a lot of the t-shirts out here will say, a famous t-shirt, Joe Montana wore in the, the early 1980s. Yeah, those are all acceptable. And uh, it's okay. The, you, can, you can call it Frisco. You can call it San Francisco. You can call it the city by the Bay. Just don't call it San Fran, and don't forget about draft, all right? Just like Eminem said.
3: I'm not doing well. I'm sick. I'm just getting over the death of my sister. And the same thing hit when uh... I found out this news. I was downstairs working out with Shakir. And my other son, Greg, showed me the T and Zim clip. And I yelled at Greg. So, yo, man, get that shit out of my face. So, get it out of my face. Because you know how the internet hoax and all that. You know, I figured somebody was just playing around. So, just... I didn't want to believe it. And then everybody's calling me. Is that true? Is it true? So I'm like, it must not be a hoax because now the whole world knows this information. So now I'm saying, please don't be true. Please don't be true. Please don't be true. And I'm watching. And then you get the confirmation. And sad enough, when you hear his daughter's with him. I didn't do anything. I haven't eaten. I haven't slept. I'm looking at all the tapes, but, uh, I'm sick right now.
0: Shaquille O'Neal reacting like a lot of us did. Please don't be true. When we first saw the news on TMZ that the great Kobe Bryant had passed away, died on a helicopter crash. That was my reaction. Please don't be true. And that reaction was raw. The first we've heard from Shaq on the big podcast with Shaquille O'Neal. John Kincaid is a host uh, at 680 The Fan in Atlanta with CBS Sports Radio and the host of the big podcast with Shaq. He got that raw reaction from the big fella there and he joins us on the program this morning. John, it's great to talk to you, my friend. Dave Briggs here and Ross Tucker as well. Uh, it's hard to hear Shaquille O'Neal say he's not eating and he's not sleeping. How, how much is he hurting?
2: He's really hurting, Dave and Ross, and uh, good to talk to you guys. Um, he's, it, it really is. He referenced in the beginning of the piece that his younger sister uh, passed away from cancer towards the end of 2019, and it really tore him up. And you could see it on him. You could see it that uh, when I saw him in person a week ago, I said to him, are you sleeping? I said, you look tired. And he's been really haunted by his sister's death because as he talks about later on, there's more in the podcast about it. He talks about the fact that you don't expect your little sister um, to go before you and Shaq's very haunted by death. He's one of those guys who, who is always bothered. Uh, he thinks about death more than anybody I've ever known, and he doesn't even like the word. Like when we bring it up on a podcast, somebody dying, he goes, stop talking about death. I don't like death. He worries about it. And he was really torn up by that. And then to have this happen, uh, is really it, it, it's really moved him. We were worried about him yesterday. You know, we want him to, uh, he's off to L.A. today to do the special tonight, and I don't know how he's going to get through it because it's uh, it just has really torn him up.
1: John, I'm curious. Uh, you know, obviously you've been doing the podcast with Shaq now for a few years. You guys have become close. You have a good friendship. I'm curious as to just wh- how close he was with Kobe. What was the relationship well, like? Well,
2: Ross, one of the things is, is that in, in this week's podcast, if people go to Podcast One and they download it, uh, we not only have that conversation around 20 minutes with Shaq from yesterday, but we replay the Shaq-Kobe interview that we conducted in 2015. And when I moderated that, that was their first conversation in 11 years. That was the first time the two of them had ever had an extended conversation in 11 years, other than just uh, in passing saying hello. They had never had more than just casually saying hello to each other. And they both, we replay that entire interview so everybody can hear it. And they get very sort of raw with each other about uh, telling the truth about what happened, uh, how their relationship had broken down, uh, who's to blame? And Shaq will surprisingly take the majority of the blame. He in fact, he takes the vast majority of the blame, and I laugh because Kobe didn't contradict him. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Kobe, Kobe definitely said, He played a part in it, but that Shaq was the one who had really, he messed with him, like a big brother with a little brother. And being a little brother and having a big brother, I really sort of likened their relationship to that. But, guys, the best part about it is, though, in the years since, every once in a while you'd see, like, Shaq would say something like, yeah, I saw Kobe in the family the other day. Uh, Yeah, Sharif, his son, who's now transferred out of UCLA, who, by the way, Kobe was DMing less than 45 minutes before his death was checking in on Shaq's son to make sure that he's okay. Is there anything he can do for him as guidance or otherwise? Because Shaq's son, Sharif, idolized Kobe. And Kobe took him under wing and trained with him. And so over the years, from the time we did that interview in 2015 to today, they weren't best of friends. They were never going to be best buddies, hang out, do everything. But they had come to such a place where their families got close, where their children got close where Kobe's children called Shaq Uncle Shaq, where Shaq's children did the same. And I think that's, like, the most beautiful part of this story, is that, thank God, that all got worked out, not like some fairy tale. It was very real, and their issues with each other were very real. But they managed to grow up, be grown men, put it behind them, and find a way to have a really, like, really, really beautiful
0: relationship down the stretch. You can find the big podcast with Shaq on podcast one. It's also available on iTunes. And this one is an absolute must listen. Here is Kobe. uh, Excuse me. Here is Shaq on on his love for Kobe Bryant. Listen.
3: And I know some idiots going to bring up the relationship with me and Kobe had. Our relationship was, was that of brothers. When I saw Kobe and his daughters, loved them. He saw my kids, loved them. If you look at my kids' tweet, uh Instagram, he talked to Sharif yesterday morning. Yeah, he was checking so, in he was checking in on yes, your son so not an hour before his death. So all the stuff that is documented between us, it was never a dislike. It's just listen, this is what brothers do. I have a younger brother, we fight all the time, but guess what? I love him. And I love Kobe Bryant. I'm the first to say, Hey, I got four rings and I know I couldn't have got three without him.
0: That is real. That is raw. John Kincaid with us, 680, the fan, also the host of the big podcast with Shaq. You said Shaquille O'Neal took a lot of the blame for that relationship turning sour. Where does the credit go? What brought them back together as brothers?
2: Well, I'd like to take the credit for that, but I can't. Uh, It was a great (laughs) questioning that I brought them together like Oprah on a couch. But no, what really happened is is that both men changed. uh, Kobe became a father. And I think that Shaq talks about it, that he saw a complete change in Kobe Bryant once Kobe became a dad and that they would constantly talk. And he even brings it up yesterday. When they were, when they're together, they found themselves in a place where they were together and could hang out, and talk and, and everything. It was always about their children and they found a common ground. And I really believe Shaq's children and Kobe's children brought the two adults together who both at various times acted like children, you know, in their relationship. But their kids brought them together because Kobe's kids gravitated to Shaq. Shaq's kids gravitated to Kobe. Um, just that, that there, there was a fondness there. There was a warmth there. And I think both men learned to just look at it and say, man, look, look I, I can respect him. I respect him as a dad. I have common ground with him as a dad. And I think that's where it all sort of came together. And I can tell you this. From what I know of Shaquille, in the five years we've known each other, if this had happened to Kobe and they hadn't worked that out, that beef out, uh, I, I don't know. He's the kind of guy. He has the biggest heart. He's a sweet, sweet man, and uh, much like Ross Tucker. And if you, uh, you know, and, and, and he would, um, he would clearly have been wrecked by that, if that had not, uh, if that had not resolved itself.
1: John, uh, knowing that you grew up uh, in Philadelphia, uh, I'm curious, did you always take some measure of pride in Kobe's career, or because he wasn't a sixer, um, did you not really care? Look, I'm a a Philly fan, Ross, so I rooted like hell against Kobe
2: Bryant, and I rooted like hell against Shaquille O'Neal, too. It's one of our major beefs I look back on that finals between Iverson and Shaq and Kobe and i I, I still have bad feelings about it. Uh, strangely, my dad is a graduate of Lower Marion uh, high school that's the high school that my dad went to um, all of my uh, almost all of my uncles and and a bunch of my cousins went to Lower Marion high School I have uh, relatives of mine on the police force in Lower Marion. Um, the, uh We have members of my, my cousin is the fire chief of the town next to it. So they had watched Kobe Bryant come back to the community. And one of the things, Ross, about him is the fact that Kobe, when he would go back, um, Kobe always had this unapproachable quality to him as a professional, whereas Shaq is the guy that comes into the restaurant and causes the scene and, and all the kids are climbing on him and goofing off and, and, he's, and he's stepping behind the counter and, and taking pictures. Kobe was much more elusive. Kobe was much more reclusive. But when Kobe would go back to Laura Marion and Kobe would go back into town and be amongst the place where he grew up, I actually think he was more comfortable because I think he felt like that was people who knew him when he was, just when he really wasn't anything yet, when he was an up-and-coming potential guy. I went and saw Kobe play in high school, saw Kobe play in high school at Lower Marion. and I remember them having to have the fire chief there every single game having to have the fire marshal there to make sure that the gyms weren't overflowed so there would be some sort of a violation. And I know that they fudge the rules because he used to play packed houses at the now Bryant gymnasium as Kobe has, has donated so much money to make sure the kids at his school have the best of the best uh, for a local public school. And he's ama- he, he was amazing to that community. And many people in that community say to Kobe they would hear about the more um, uptight, the more um, sort of, uh, of, you know, a guy who was more reclusive didn't really want to interact with the public. That wasn't the public that, that they knew. That wasn't the Kobe that they knew in the Lower Marion area.
0: That that is a, some interesting stories there from John Kincaid, uh, host at Six Eighty, the fan, and host of the Big Podcast with Shaq. Um, I can't get a, I can't wrap my arms around why this one hit me so hard, John. I was crying all day Sunday. I still tear up when I think about it. And you bring up a good point that Shaq is the approachable, lovable, likable guy. Has this. Kobe loss hurt people of our age group so hard because this was Superman. This was a guy that we watched grow up and it made us all feel vulnerable. It made us all feel like it could happen to us and also seeing him as a father at the very end, I think hits again, guys in our age group in our forties. So, so much harder than I ever would have imagined. Well,
2: I think it's it's, it's part of that. It's weird, Dave, Now you're in your 40s, and I'm in my 50s, and it's like, for me, I can recite chapter and verse all the games that I watched Jordan. And then a lot of times with Kobe, a lot of his greatest moments, I'm a young dad, I'm busy, I'm doing other things. I didn't have that same impact. My producers in Atlanta and things like that, they were more of Kobe. And I think now the kids growing up are more LeBron. It's as if there's transitional figures in NBA history that carry fandom through and really relate. It's something that baseball needs to learn. It's something that, and I don't know that it can be organically created. It, it, it has to be organic. But NBA seems like it just has star after star that passes it to the next group of guys. And maybe it's a 10-year window of age where Kobe's your guy or Jordan was the guy or LeBron's the guy that it, they've been blessed. To have those kind of figures, and I think that's why it moved you, Dave. Is that also too? Uh, and I know this about you, and I and I know it's, you know we're parents, and when a when an accident happens like that, when a disaster happens like that, and there are children involved, and Shaq was very clear yesterday, one to acknowledge the other people in the in the crash too. Uh, there were three children that had their lives snuffed out, and to me, as the father of a tenth grader in high school, I I I'd, I'd lose my mind. I'd lose my mind even thinking about anything happening to my daughter. And I think that everybody was wrecked a little bit more because of the fact that it wasn't just a bunch of adults who've lived their lives, who've gotten to do all these kind of things, but the loss of children's lives is just, it's unspeakable. Yeah. It really is. It's unspeakable. And I think that's why this loss even took a worse thing, because you saw all the pictures of, of Kobe and Gigi. And they were incredibly close and incredibly tight. And Gigi was obsessed with, uh, you know, here with Trey Young in Atlanta, was her favorite player in the NBA. And they actually traveled to make sure that she could see games this year. The NBA games that Kobe had seen in person this year had all involved Trey Young of the Hawks because that was the player that that Gigi was so obsessed with and so excited to see. And it's it's amazing, and I know it's taken a toll on Trey, too. Uh, He was really overwhelmed with it all.